Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Katie. And I'm Kate. And this is Premeditated. Thanks for tuning in. We are so sorry that last week we weren't able to make <laughs> an episode. I was very vague in my in my Instagram post because I wasn't sure how much Kate wanted to share. Oh, I, I put, did you see me comment? I saw, I saw, yeah, yeah. yeah. So but, I got allergies and they gave me vertigo and then I fell down the basement stairs. <laughs> so Kate had quite a week and we just couldn't, we couldn't, we couldn't make it work. But so, I'm okay because yeah. I'm a Higgins and I'm built out of hardy stuff. She told me she fell down the stairs. And I was like, well, it had to have been like the bottom two or three stairs. And she's like, no, like literally top to bottom. Yeah. I was so now I have a picture of you like tumbling down the stairs. Well, and my husband came up running up to me uh, and he said, we just finished watching the staircase. I can't do time. <laughs> and it would have been like, I, I I wouldn't have believed it. I'm like, no, she did. I mean, then I would have thought for two seconds. I'm like, oh yeah, she, she totally. Yeah. That's she why totally on the show, for those of you that have watched the staircase with Colin Firth in it, that's why I can totally see. When she fell backwards down the stairs and hit her head, I was like, yeah, that could happen. 100%. Right. Oh, for sure. No owl, no Michael Peterson, nothing. She could just do it on her own. And I, I know that, that because. I just, like, really love the owl theory, though. I know. Like, I want owl. that to have been what happened. Anyway, but, yeah. so We're sorry. Just... It's my fault. Let's blame Kate. I'm yes. going like, send her horrible messages. And yeah. Stuff. Um, no, no, don't do that. Don't no, do it's fine. Like I said, no one can hate me more than myself. <laughs> But we're sorry. We're sorry. We're going to work because we're so new to this. We're trying to figure out, you know, we'll probably like have some pre-recordings in the bank or something. So going forward, if, if yeah. one of us is sick or because things will come up where we're going to have to miss a week. But or if we got more listeners and got on Patreon, then we could do this as a job and we wouldn't have jobs. Oh, I know. Then you'd get two episodes a week. I do love my jobs. I, I love my job, too. <laughs> so that probably wouldn't happen. Most of the time. <laughs> Well, um, yeah, so right now we're recording. I feel like the last time we recorded was also during severe weather. Yeah. And what do you know? We're supposed to get like giant hail here soon. So yeah. fingers crossed that the power stays on and that things don't get too rowdy over here. But this week, I'm super excited. Kate's got something awesome for us, I'm sure. Yeah, I do. So it takes place in West Virginia. Oh, yay. West Virginia. <sighs> Mountain Mama. Oh, God, that's such a good song. Yeah. So something fun, I thought, I can't remember, I think one of my team members at work suggested that we do a case for every state. Like, that we try to every state. Maybe you love that. So I think that's what I'm going to do. So, like, I was, like, going to start with the ones right around us because I'm, like. Don't do South Dakota because I'm reading a book about South Dakota right now. Yeah. I was going to do Wisconsin. So I was, like. Oh, do Wisconsin. Yeah. So I've got a couple ideas for Wisconsin. So this is West Virginia. I'm I'm on this 70s kick. I'm also on like an early, like I have been super interested in like 20s, 30s, 40s. Yeah, 50s, you've been like, on the like vintage. Yeah, I also. I, like, I, mine's more retro. Okay. Like Because you're in the um, 70s, 70s is retro. 70s is retro. <laughs> I think it's interesting because back then among law enforcement was they didn't have interdepartment or like right. across state lines or like uh, even the next city, like communications right. or like Which they didn't have the databases. I think that's another reason that serial killers were so prevalent back then. But people but, could just move from one yeah. city to oh, another. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. And be completely unknown. And, yeah, yeah. So I read this book that actually just recently got released about the WVU, West Virginia University. So from now on, I'll refer to it as WVU. Okay. Co-ed murders. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta love a co-ed murder. I gotta love a co-ed I murder. I really do. I don't have something about it. It's just like... 
Well, yeah. Very fascinating. It is because we were co-eds. Yes, exactly. That's why it's fascinating. If we had been hookers instead, I'm sure that we would find <laughs> the hooker murders. You just like really relate to them, I guess. I know. I know. I can relate to hookers too, but... Um... <laughs> I mean, we all can a little bit. I think we all can a little bit. Got to make a buck. So WVU is located in Morgantown, West Virginia, and it's 31,000 people. It's a pretty big school. So I imagine that makes up for a lot of the population. Um, It's in North Central West Virginia, which is bordering Pennsylvania, which is coal country. Got it. I just had to like Google West Virginia to figure out what it looked like. (laughs) Geography, you know. Should we just jump right in? Yeah, let's just do it. I'm in. so excited to hear about this. All right. On January 18th, 1970, Merid Malarick and Karen Farrell, which by the way, I love the name Merid. That is a really interesting name. I've never heard it, but I yeah. love it. Merid Malarick and Karen Farrell, both freshmen at West Virginia University, just like disappeared. Oh, so. Shit. And this was in January 1970. So. Okay. And West Virginia, like, what is the, do you, I mean, you probably know more than I do. What is it like there? Is it, um, is it, I, I think, I mean, they get snow. Yeah. They're in the Appalachia yeah. mountains. And so Appalachian mountains, Keith calls them Appalachian. <laughs> I don't, I think that's probably correct, but <laughs> I think it's Caribbean, Caribbean, yeah. you know. Potato, potato. potato yeah. Well, mm. Who the I know pota- potato. I know my potatoes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't but even talk about potatoes. Don't, don't even talk about potatoes. Or Ida. <laughs> or Ida. Yeah. So it's in the mountain. It's it's going to be like, it's going to be like North Carolina mountain weather. Got it. Okay. So Karen and Merritt were both freshmen at West Virginia University. Uh, they went to the movies okay. with a couple of their friends, Clarence and Paulette. And then they ran into some boys also. Okay. Ooh, boys. Some boys. <laughs> yeah. Gentlemen. Uh, they ran into them during intermission and then they sat with them for the rest of the show. Scandal. I know. <laughs> um, after the movie ended, the four students walked out towards Willie Street, where Karen and Merritt decided to hitchhike back to campus, which was pretty common. No, everyone did it. Yeah. And it's like you hear about it and you're like, you stupid idiot. But like in yeah. the 70s, everyone did it. My dad talks about hitchhiking all the time. Well, he did get a gun pulled on him and then stopped doing it. So my (laughs) uncle Donnie and aunt Dort met hitchhiking across Canada and I feel like Canadian hitchhiking was a different experience. They still have the bus as a guest house. That's adorable. Yeah. It's a blue bus. (laughs) I love it. So they, they were hitchhiking back to campus after the movie. I could totally see myself choosing hitchhiking and the possible threat of death over this. There was like a really steep hill back to campus. And if it's icy out or something, I'd be like, down that hill. (laughs) Even if it was summer, I'd be like, oh, fuck no. Cardio? What? There was this this hill smack dab in the middle of the University of Wisconsin. Like, everyone who knows knows Baskin Hill. Yeah. It's not, like, super steep. It's just very long and gradual. (laughs) And, oh, my God. It was terrible it was the worst hill i like there was like a bus that would stop at the bottom of the hill and then would drop people off at the top in the winter it was packed oh. <laughs> just literally took the, bill, the bus up the hill oh my god like, i would I mean, yeah hitchhiking so or i would totally hitchhike yeah hitchhiking yes i appealing paulette the one of the, their friends okay. um saw the two girls get into a cream colored sedan clarence didn't see the girls get into the car but he did see them 
inside the car as it drove past him. So there were several witnesses and it would be the last time the girls were seen. Despite the fact that the girls were reported missing only a few hours after they were last seen because, you know, roommates were like, where did they go? Or they they never got back. College girls. Yeah. Well, and I think their friends, Clarence and Paula, got back to campus and they were like, where are they? Like, they just got, they got a ride and they're not here. They should have gotten here before us. And of course, the police didn't take the girls' disappearance very seriously at first. They were assuming that they'd left of their own accord, despite the fact that the girls' friends and families insisted neither of them were the type to just up and leave without letting Shocking. Yeah, yeah. It's like copy-paste of any disappearance or abduction of a woman, a college student. I can kind of, like... I can kind of see the side of police. I know. Um, I hesitate to even say that. Back then, because people were just taken off. Without cell phones or a way to actually contact people, it was harder to be like, it was harder to assume. Whereas nowadays, when the reaction from police is oftentimes the same, they probably left by themselves. Yeah. Except with cell phones, it's like... They should. No, they'll, they'll answer their phone. Even if they left or like wanted yeah. to like go somewhere, go off. Or they're not posting on social media right. and they're it's like, like a known. Be- yeah, exactly. Like, Which is why if I went missing, you, you would like wait five days because I don't have social media. So yeah, yeah. I, I think I could see it from that point. But also I'm kind of like, hey, it's Morgantown. It's a college town. The police, like what are they? It's a small town. Like it's 31,000 right. people now. You just wish the police would. And the police aren't more. doing anything. Like what are they doing? Exactly. Like they have time. That's very true. And also, they should listen to the family. That's what if I'm the saying. family's saying, like, this is unusual, like, believe them. Believe Trust them. The believe them. Or, yeah. like, mothers that say, my kid would never run away. Yeah, you have a record if they like a record of it if they have a habit of running away exactly and so they did they did send out search parties for them but it wasn't super active and the first trace of the girls wasn't found until march so So like two full months they've been yeah and the police are still saying like we don't know like they could have they could have just taken off they could have taken off with these boys and gross i hate that like imagine being the parent or friend for sure of a lost or missing person and the stress of like having to do everything yourself like and i think they were i think the parents probably it didn't say but i'm sure the parents went to they came from very solid families and i'm sure they were looking for them yeah everywhere i mean where do you but then you like you think to yourself like well i would start looking for you know you right away but where where right like just looking for my cat is stressful enough. And I know that she's probably Absolutely. on the block. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Where do you go? Yeah. Ugh. So like I said, the first trace wasn't found until March and it was a kid picking up soda bottles again. Yeah. <laughs> we need to do to that. that. It's like a missed opportunity. I need to collect in some recycling. Because we've, you find valuable clues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and make a good, good yeah, make paycheck. A good make a living. Solving crime and making a living. What could yeah, be better? Yeah, I know. I know. It was along US 119, which is a highway near there. And it was a purse. So they this kid found Marin's purse. Oh, shoot. Discarded. Or Merit's purse uh, discarded about 50 feet off the road. <sighs> On April 8th, 1970, West Virginia State Police received an anonymous letter postmarked from Cumberland, Maryland, regarding the women's disappearance. And evidently, like, it was only signed with a triangle. What is with that in that period of time? Like Zodiac, Summer of Sam, and like, like, or BTK did symbols too. Like it was, the letter was uh, dated April 6th and read, 
I feel like I should do an accent, but I'm not going here. Gentlemen, <laughs> I have some information on the whereabouts of the bodies of the two missing West Virginia University co-eds, <laughs> Merritt Malarick and Karen Farrell. Follow directions very carefully to the nth degree, and you cannot fail to find them. Proceed 25 miles directly south from the southern line of Morgantown. This will bring you to a wooded forest land. Enter into the forest exactly one mile. There are the bodies. 25 plus 6 equals 26 miles total. <laughs> we'll Man. reveal myself when the bodies are located. Sincerely, Triangle. <laughs> that was like a mixture of Mr. T, like Deep South. Yeah. And, I know. Like, it was horrible. I, West Virginia doesn't sound like that at all. But <laughs> yeah. So like creepy, like creepy. Right. But and sorry, so it, this was April 1970. That's the same year that they disappeared. So yeah. it was like four months later. Four okay. months later. And also it's not really giving any details. Like, like as far as like it's saying he, he the bodies are here, but it's not giving them like anything that just the killer would know. And like, like no dirt, like no like go north, go south. Like it's really just like Hey, it's 25 miles out here in the forest land. Yeah. And then enter and go a mile. A mile where? Where? What direction? Right. Like you could. And one mile was like, we used to like mathematically, like, okay, I got 5,200. Can you see it like pacing it out with his feet? Yeah. Uh, The state police received a second letter dated April 10th, which arrived shortly after the first one was published in the newspapers. Like the first letter, it was postmarked Cumberland, Maryland. And signed with a triangle. Um, it read, I won't do the accent. This time. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, I saw the article in this morning's newspaper concerning my previous letter on the missing two co-eds. If you reread my first letter carefully, you will see the directions were specific direct south from the city, meaning the southern limit of Morgantown, West Virginia. Straight south, 25 miles, you will come to a forest woodland. Enter one mile south fanning out you will locate the bodies of the girls covered over with brush look carefully the animals are now on the move gross do trust this will help you out with the exact location we'll still identify myself when bodies are located sincerely and then you sign it with triangle triangle yeah super creepy at least it didn't go to the parents and it just went to the police right um, did did the police actually follow up with this do anything i mean did they go try and I searched the area. Yeah. By the time the letters arrived, there was increasing pressure from the public. Right. Obviously, this is four months later, to take Karen and Merritt's d- disappearance more seriously. So, and the governor of West Virginia ordered a search for the girls based on the directions from the letters. Okay. So he was like, get your shit together. Like, this is becoming a big deal. The state police and the National Guard began a search, and it's like wooded area. Right. Very wooded. And uh, they followed the directions to the best of their abilities, but they did not find their bodies surprise surprise but some belongings of the girls were found during the course of the search oh yeah including uh Merid's sunglasses okay karen's purse because they f- remember Merid's purse was found before right and uh karen's driver's license the belongings were scattered and most were found 50 to 75 feet off the road so it's huh. unlikely that they've been tossed from a car two days later on april 16th the girls bodies were found Oh. Though not in the location indicated by the letter. Okay. Rather than 26 miles south of Morgantown, they were found about 11 miles south of the city on the old uh, Wyerton Mine Road. But um, part of the same search? Yes. Like, like there was some sort well, of like organized I mean, search probably going on. Yeah, there was probably... I'm guessing that it was the searchers and part of the search party that found them. So when they found them, the bodies were placed on top of each other. 
So the body on the bottom was face up and the body on top was face down. Oh God. They were covered with flat rocks thought to have been hauled from a nearby Creek bed. Oh yeah. So the bodies were in rough shape. Yeah. I mean, it had been months I mean, and they were basically like smashed. Together. I think there was also a fallen tree on top of the bodies, but it's unclear if that was put there on purpose. Right. Or it just like fell. Both bodies were fully clothed in the same clothes they went missing in. Okay. And the women had been decapitated. Oh my God. That's the worst part. That's the worst. They were decapitated, put on top of each other, and then basically smashed together with rocks. Yeah. That is disgusting. Yeah. And their heads have never been found. Oh my God. Oh. So you're dealing with a real fuck nut here. Like, like, this is a crazy person. Like, it's awful enough to assault them and, you know, strangle them or whatever. But like, it's so excessive and unnecessary. Right. That is messed up. By the time the bodies have been found, there'd been a great deal of decomp as well as uh, predation from animals naturally. So some clues were obviously lost to nature because of the state of decomposition. It could not be determined if they'd been sexually assaulted. So they couldn't, they couldn't, but you can guess like the fact their clothes were on is, but it says they were fully clothed, including shoes and gloves. And, uh, but even a pack of cigarettes were tucked into the waistband of Merritt's jeans. But that led investigators to believe it was unlikely that they hadn't been sexually assaulted. Why? Because it was so neat. Like their clothes were so neat. They think they were redressed. Got it. There were a few items of clothing missing from the girls' bodies. Merid's fur-lined boots and Karen's fur coat. Okay. Both women had also been wearing necklaces when they disappeared. And, and they, these were also missing. Oh, God. Their clothes weren't bloody. So, sorry, you probably said this already, but were, how did they die? Or did show, they like, don't know. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so they were decapitated, but they anything. decapitated. Anything else, like any stabs, any, anything else, like. Uh, well, it's unclear what implement was used to decapitate the bodies. It could have been a, a machete or a hatchet, but the exact type of weapons never been found. Because if you think about it, like they could have been strangled. Yeah. They could. And if you decapitate them, there's no I mean, evidence. Without their that. head. Yeah. Or I guess their throat would yeah. show strangulation. But if you decapitate at a certain point, I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's hard to tell. So Triangle would send two more letters, one more to the state police and one to the parents of oh Merritt. Oh, God. Yeah. I hate that shit. That is the worst. I hate that shit. It's, like, it's bad enough when it's a killer, but it's it's like 18 times worse if it's not. Yeah. Like, if oh, it's just oh, some then you're sick just doing fuck, it for, yeah, shits and giggles. Like, that's awful. That to me, like, that is a different kind of twisted. That person is fucked up. This letter dated April 21st, so five days after they found the bodies. The heads can be found from the position of the bodies by striking out 10 degrees southwest for the first head and approximately 10 degrees southeast for the second, roughly one mile. You are already seven tenths of that mile. They are within the mine entrance, if you can call it an entrance, considering its condition. They are buried not over one foot in depth. The ones responsible for the murders scattered some of the... I like how he distances himself. uh, For the murders scattered some of the girls' personal effects over the general area, creating a pattern of confusion, making it difficult for you to pinpoint any exact location. My first two letters triggered your intensive search. Don't give up now. Sincerely, Triangle. Then the final letter was dated April 28th and was sent to Merritt's parents. I have sent three letters to the Morgantown State Police Department concerning your daughter, Merritt and Karen. The first and second were taken with some seriousness, 
and instituted a search which was successful in locating two bodies minus the heads, which were needed for other purposes. What? All of a sudden, the police have been complaining about an error in the mileage stated in my second letter. So he's, like, offended. Yeah. Like, like how dare How I? dare you? Uh, after one has driven in an oval pattern for 26 miles under the weather condition of January and under the involved circumstances, it is possible to make out make about an 18-mile error in the pre- precise location of the bodies. He's like, hey... Give me some credit, man. Like, yeah, give look, or take an eighteenth of a mile, and it, it was in January, yeah. and like I was driving for a long time. And like, my odometer stopped working. I had to estimate. <laughs> give a guy a break. A guy could get turned around. Like, <laughs> nevertheless, they were found south in Morgantown, as stated in the letter. Even to that, which was called a logging lane or old mine road, in my opinion, both. So. Okay, triangle. Uh, ultimately, the letters were found to be nothing more than a macabre hoax perpetrated by uh, a cult. Oh, what? And the three people involved in writing the letters were cleared of any involvement in Karen and Merrin's murders. I hope they were, you know, charged with something else. Because, like, honestly, people that could do that, that to me is as scary as somebody who could, like, yeah. actually murder. Like, just like the toying with it's with psycho- the it's psychological warfare. Oh That's gosh, yeah, it's psychological torture. It's it's horrible. Oh like gosh. you're clearly a sick individual. Right. Exactly. That's so. And honestly, up. I think if given the opportunity, it would only be a matter of time for someone who writes those kinds of things oh, to act on it. Exactly. I completely agree. Ugh. Oh, so gross. So the suspects: William Bernard Hacker Sr. is the first suspect. In December of 1970, so this would be almost a year after, right. Hacker was arrested in Baltimore of murdering and decapitating a man named Herbert Coben. After decapitating Coben, Hacker removed the head and put it in his car. He later placed it under a flat rock near a creek where it was found by searchers. Hacker was born in 1896 and moved to West Virginia when he was in grade school. And he began working in mines when he was only 10 years old and even worked at the Wareton Mine where... Merritt and Karen's bodies were found. He, yeah, he worked there at some point. Yeah. So between 1921 and 1952, so Depression era, yeah. um, there were a series of unsolved decapitations in areas near and around where Hacker lived. Isn't that creepy? Oh. And if you think oh. about it, like they had no way of tracking people back then. And Absolutely. between 1920 and 1950, it was just like, well, here's another decapitated body. <sighs> like, I just... <laughs> oh. oh. It and literally I just think gives it, me like, shake. Just the combination oh. of, of that and then, like, like, I find mines, like, because I come from a mining town yeah. in Eastern Oregon, and, and I find mines especially creepy. Yeah. Like, old abandoned mines and, like... Yeah. And the two of those together are like, that is a nightmare. <laughs> and honestly, I'm sorry for those of you that are from this area, but the Appalachian Mountains, like, I mean, seriously. Yeah, like, you see, like, I mean, that's just like a I, I deliverance. Would, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> beautiful area. I would love to visit, but I do. I mean, they're, it's similar to what you're talking about with, like, the area from your last case where, like, the this is an area people Oh, yeah. Lewis escape. Clark Valley. Yeah. Like, people don't want, people aren't there yeah. because they want to, like. People don't live in Hell's Canyon. To make friends. To make friends. It's Hell's Canyon. Yeah. Yeah. So, like I said, it was between 1920 and 1950. 
they have, there's a series of decapitations that could be possibly attributed to this guy whose name, ironically enough, I just realized is Hacker. (laughs) (laughs) How did I not notice that before? You literally can't write that. You can't, you can't make that that shit up. up. Yeah. What a name. So in 1952, Hacker committed a double murder for which he was convicted and imprisoned. And then he was released from prison in 1966. Wait, wait, wait. When did he commit the murder? 51? 52. And then 14 years later, he was released. For a double murder. For a double murder. Cool, cool. And you have to imagine that he decapitated them too. <laughs> I mean, that's his history. That's his, that's his trademark. They're like, yeah. you know, we've done 14 years. We, we trust you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, honor system right buddy and they're in get this there were no no unsolved decapitations in the area but between 1952 and 1966 <laughs> like connect yeah. the dots it's just this guy is the decapitator okay <laughs> his last name is literally hacker <laughs> then uh and then guess what they picked back up again the unsolved decapitations in 1966 jesus christ Oh my yeah. God. Another unsolved decapitation occurred in 1966, two more in 1967, another one in 1969. Maybe 1968, he went on vacation. He went yeah. on like a cruise or something. Exactly. And and, the, and then the, the busy year. Or he just went to a different state. Or just went to a different state. People there. Because they didn't, yeah. if you think about it, they didn't have like a parole system no. back then. I mean, they did the best they could. Yeah. But like if he just took off for another state, like. And then 1970 is the co ed murder. So. After Hacker went to prison for murdering Herbert Cohen in uh, Coburn in late 1970, the decapi- decapitations once again stopped. So he's a good suspect. He's right. a viable suspect. Yeah. Except these were two college girls, and at least two of the decapitations that oh, he man. was responsible for were men. Okay. So if his if he was constantly only, I, I'm but, sure I mean if that's I looked, if, if that's the reason they ruled him out, I'd have to believe that that's the reason. So then the next two suspects are Eddie Slaughter, my God, and Ronnie Bird. So we got a hacker, we got a slaughter, we got a hacker. <laughs> it's like they were just like, hey, this guy's last name, yeah, is Slaughter. He did it. <laughs> like Slaughter was a janitor who worked at Westchester Hall, the dorm where Merritt and Karen lived um, at WVU until early January 1970. Okay, so right before okay they disappeared. He was brought to investigators' attention in April when a a woman went to the police to report a disturbing encounter she had with Slaughter the month before Merritt and Karen disappeared. The woman had been waiting at a service center near Westchester when Slaughter offered her a ride. She refused, but then he managed to convince her to wait in his car while she waited for her friends to pick her up. And this is where, ladies, just listen to your instinct. Yeah. Because it it goes into great detail in the book about how uncomfortable she felt and how she actually refused several times but he was very persistent. Oh, and I've just decided that I'm just, I'm okay now with just being mean to oh, someone. Uh, and, oh, 100%. Yeah. Like, I'm the kind of person that if, like, a crazy homeless person that's talking to themselves outside of Walgreens hits on me, I say thank you. Like, <laughs> but, but if they try to get me in a vehicle, I'm going to be, I'm going to tell them no. <laughs> a girl needs some validation. Every no, you now. absolutely, and you, like, they're, your gut and your instinct is a legitimate sense. That's like, gotten me out of some really bad situations. Yeah. So yeah, he did manage her, manage to convince her to wait in his car. According to the woman, Slaughter made her incredibly uncomfortable, particularly when, when he became 
fixated on the fur coat and fur hat she was wearing. He kept talking about the hat and coat and his comments were getting increasingly strange, including him saying he liked to rub furry things. Oh my God. Yeah. At that point, she decided to get out of the car. Like, I, I, that's like, a good choice. That's the last straw, right? No, she's like, like, no. I better go. Like, he's going to start petting me in a minute. Uh, she was so disturbed by the encounter that she reported it to the police. So, um, good call. Yeah. So, this happened before the bodies were found. So, no one knew yet that fur items were among the few missing things sure. from the bodies. Police found uh, Slaughter's employer and asked if he was at work when Merritt and Karen had gone missing. And they discovered that he called in sick to work on January 18th and 19th. And the girls went missing on the night of the 18th. Oh, that is super suspect. Right. Um, Police went to Slaughter's grandparents' house as he lived with them at the time. Of course. Of course. Your sweet grandparents don't know that you're a freaking They always live with their grandparents or their mom. Yeah. Like, just... The grandparents have no idea. They just think that their sweet grandson is a little troubled and yeah. likes furry stuff. <laughs> he likes to rub furry things. God. Oh. <gasps> Get a dog. <laughs> like, but also don't. But also I don't. don't. Yeah. Get a dog. <laughs> so they asked for samples of his handwriting. As at this point, they still thought that the author of the triangle letters was also the killer, could possibly be the killer. So it was before they determined that it was the cult of people. And I don't know why they refer to them as a cult if it was like three people. Right. But because it was probably satanic panic. Yeah. Oh, like, yes. That's a good point. It could it could have been. It could have been. So they asked, they, they did a handwriting sample comparison and handwriting analysis showed it was unlikely that Slaughter had written the letters. So police dismissed him as a suspect. And then later, insane. I mean, you know, later when they were like, those letters were not real. Did they at least like, did they bring him back? But by the time the police had realized the letters were not written by the killer, they had an even larger pool of sus- possible suspects. So they never went back to investigate slaughter. Okay. So yeah, to love furry things and he and called in sick. They had that can be a coincidence, I suppose. And if they had more like, but he was a janitor relevant. in their dorm. That's, like that's, there's a lot of, you shouldn't rule him out just based on his handwriting. Sample. Right. But it sounds like they have some more relevant subs. Maybe they must've. Um, so Ronnie Bird was the other, uh, the third suspect. He was brought to their attention by another Morgantown resident who said that the man had a reputation for setting fires and torturing animals. Oh, gross. um, and Bird became belligerent when investigators asked him what kind of car he drove, um, at the time of the girl's disappearance. Hmm. So, uh, before leaving his house, the investigators noticed that Bird had a photo of Eddie Slaughter on his wall. After doing some digging, they discovered that Bird was Slaughter's uncle. Oh, so interesting. I personally think that if you're part of a family that has two people as suspects in a decapitation murder, double murder, there's something you might want to look for a new family. (laughs) (laughs) Or like be like, if they didn't commit this one, what, what did they commit? Or maybe show up to the reunions armed, you know, (laughs) like I, or just bring police with you. Yeah, exactly. Like, just or maybe just don't. Yeah. Just, just don't, don't or just don't, just go. don't go. Yeah. And so he was he was quickly ruled out. The fourth suspect, John Brennan Crutchley, aka 
the vampire rapist. He's the vampire rapist? He's that was the so many questions. That was his moniker, yeah. Like, did he give that to himself? I think the media comes up with a lot of these, and then the killer will correct them in an article letter. Start using yeah, yeah. Start using it. You can call me this. Yeah. All of the evidence supporting Crutchley as a perpetrator is incredibly circumstantial. Okay. His sister, with whom he had a sexual relationship with at the time, uh, attended WVU in 1970. His father worked at the company that owned the land where Merritt and Karen's bodies were found, and he was on a school break in January 1970. Okay. So the dude is... A little twisted. I want to know his history. Do you though? Yeah, I know. <laughs> like <laughs> the vampire rapist. There was a book or at least a chapter of an anthology on him okay. that I read. Okay. And it had something to do with like he liked draining their blood. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. There's no evidence that Crutchley was in or near Morgantown in 1970. <laughs> and other than the fact that he was he was a serial killer with ties to the area, uh, there's nothing that points to him as being responsible for Merritt and Karen's murders. Uh, after the authors of the triangle letters were revealed, so the cult yep. comprised of exactly three people, right, and cleared of any involvement in the murders, there was very little movement in the case. So we went six years, 1976, without anyone being arrested for the murders. And of course, never finding the heads. So in 1976, a man named Eugene Paul Clausen confessed to killing Merritt and Karen. Clausen was born in Morgantown, West Virginia, and lived most of his life in the nearby town of Point Marion. He was also a repeat sexual offender who had a predilection for sexual crimes against children. So total creep. And at the time of his confession was imprisoned in New Jersey for sexually assaulting a 14 year old girl. Oh, that's interesting that you usually they don't jump from that sort of. Yeah. You know, the bodies were so decomposed. They couldn't positively confirm without a doubt that the women had been sexually assaulted. So it's just like going from like being a pedophile, they kind of usually stick to that. Well, etymology. and if you think, though, these girls were freshmen in college. That's true. They were young. Enough. And if he's in, in prison for sexually assaulting a 14-year-old girl, that's only four years older. That's true. And, that's true. Uh, Clausen contacted West Virginia State Police claiming he was having nightmares based on his killing of Merritt and Karen, and he wanted to confess. So he's like, I'm having bad dreams. I need to get rid of these bad dreams. Okay. After being interviewed by the state police, he produced a 35-page confession. 35 Jeez. pages. Jesus. Handwritten. Clausen's got some cramps. Okay. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> and then I cut their heads off. Right. Uh, Clausen also passed a polygraph test where he claimed to have killed the girls. So that's Jesus. interesting. I've heard of polygraphs being conducted to weed out false confessions. Yeah. I've only ever heard of, yeah, they were definitely lying. They didn't, right. you know, they didn't pass a polygraph. Right. But for someone to pass a polygraph... To prove that they did do it. To prove that they did do it. It's interesting. Yeah. And as we know, polygraphs aren't 100%. So he passed a polygraph, but during later interviews could not clearly remember any details of the crime. So six years later, and chances are he was on something when he did it. But I'm like, what the hell was in that 35-page confession? Like, what did he write about? In the confession, he made a number of factually incorrect statements about the murders, including... They placed the bodies side by side on their backs. And that when he picked up Marin, Merritt and Karen, he forced them by gunpoint to sit in the back seat. And they were actually uh, seen sitting in the front seat by their friends uh, that went to okay. the movie with them. Okay. So another key issue with Clausen's confession was that the errors he included in his statements are exactly the same errors that appeared in a write-up oh. of Karen and Merritt's murders. That appeared in the Detective Cases magazine. I wonder if that was intentional. Because that like to like kind of weed out false confessions. I wonder, I, I, I don't know. 
in movies. I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah. I've heard of that. I And I don't know. Everything about Clausen's statement, I guess, matched the Detective Cases magazine article. Interesting. Yeah. All correct details in the article were correct in Clausen's confession, and all incorrect statements from the article were also incorrect in the confession. Oh, shoot. There were also a couple statements that, well, they could not be proved or disproved. They did, they did seem highly unlikely. So the first of these was that he forced the girls to undress and then redress at gunpoint. When the bodies were found, both were still neatly dressed, shirts tucked in, correctly buttoned, gloves on, etc. So yeah, I mean, I initially thought like, well, they could have redressed the bodies after they murdered them, after he murdered them. But the fact that the shirts were correctly buttoned, but I imagine like in the heat of the moment, it's difficult to get all those buttons correctly buttoned. And then the pack of cigarettes that was tucked neatly into the waistband of Merritt's jeans. So that doesn't track with two traumatized young women being forced to hastily dress, redress at gunpoint. Maybe he didn't sexually assault them. But that brings me to my second. The second dubious claim was that Clausen said he raped both women numerous times climaxing four to six times this number varies during his different confessions and i feel like that is just him plugging his sexual prowess or whatever right and you think they would find i know that there wasn't dna at this point but they were still collecting semen they could still identify semen like yeah i feel like they would find they would have found something if that oh was it's case. just so gross to think about but Ugh. Uh, so after that disgusting point that he had to make, uh, <laughs> the reason this particular claim is unlikely, he had been diagnosed with Kleinfelter syndrome, which is a chromosomal abnormality resulting in an XXY rather than XY genome. Okay. Clausen's Kleinfelter syndrome would have resulted in serious sexual dysfunction. Um, and he had apparently suffered from fairly severe erectile dysfunction oh jesus so he's so, just making it up to like sound manly or yeah i mean and it's and, like yeah. dude nope like cool brag nobody yeah, asked exactly. like, like but he had to make that point you know yeah gross. and but isn't it always just like the guys that feel sexually well 100 percent as like incels right it's like yeah they feel sexually inadequate and so they have to be like oh look at me I and are oftentimes medically Im- impotent yeah and exactly yeah given his Kleinfelter syndromes uh medical professionals have called his claim of multiple climaxes in one evening improbable bordering on, on yeah. impossible yeah. so law enforcement officials were of course quite focused on where the girls heads have been disposed of right because you know as you are when yeah. you find a dead right. body Clausen claimed he threw them in a crevice in an old schoolyard. First of all, when I read this, I was like, there's a crevice in a schoolyard? Yeah, like, that ain't safe. An old schoolyard, meaning it's not used as a school anymore. Is that because someone fell in the crevice? Is that because of the crevice? Yeah. <laughs> like, I know that the weirdest part of that sentence should be that the heads were thrown in a crevice. But the fact that there's a crevice. You're like, what kind of crevice are Gaping hole in the ground. Right. In a schoolyard. Anyway, so investigators performed thorough searches of the area, but they never found anything. They did, however, find a bird's nest that included human hairs. Hairs, which seemed to be a visual match for Karen and Merid. Back then, they didn't have, yeah, they could only go off of what they looked looked like. However, analysis of the hairs has shown that they had been cut, Uh, not pulled from the scalp. Okay. In the 1970s, there's no way to actually prove the hairs belonged to the girls, especially since none of the hairs had a root attached. Sure. So uh, that's just insane. I mean, but, you know, good on them. That's good detective work. Like you found a bird's nest near the crevice that had human hairs. Yeah, you should look into that. Absolutely. By the time Clausen went to trial for the murders, he had recanted his confession. Oh, my God. So he was actually like, this wasn't a suspect. This was like literally the guy. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like that. But what did they have on him? 
basically nothing. Just like his just three, his confession. Confession that was not. He wrote the confession, but it had all. But back the then they like did yeah. But back then they did a polygraph and he passed the polygraph. But his confession was true, and they took that as. But he. God, that doesn't seem like very much. No, off of no. I mean, I don't know. So he gave. This is the guy who gave the confession, but then included a bunch of falsities in it that were like taken yeah, from from that. an article from an article in a magazine. But then everything that he got correct was from the magazine, and then everything he got incorrect was from the magazine. Yeah. So kind of like yeah. he made it all up. Yeah, they took it. They took it as at face value, and he was convicted. Um, of, he was convicted. Yeah, he was convicted of Merritt and Karen's murder in 1977, but this verdict was overturned on appeal by the Virginia, the West Virginia Supreme Court, on the grounds that the prosecution had made knowingly false statements during the trial, including that the hair they found in the bird's nest was proved to be Merritt and Karen's. Okay, <laughs> and had shown the jury pictures of the girls' autopsies in order to prejudice them sure. against Clausen. Right. So there was a second trial in 1980. So ten years after the murders. Okay for Clausen during which he claimed he falsely confessed to the crime because he was in prison in New Jersey facing over 170 years in prison and believed that if he confessed to Karen and Merritt's murders, he would be extradited to West Virginia where he would not be convicted. And he thought would no longer have to face the charges in New Jersey. So what was he in prison for in New Jersey? Sexually assaulting a 14 year old girl. That's right. That's yeah. Right. So it makes a note of saying like he, he was tested as having an IQ in the seventies. So he's not real bright. Right. And he just thought, Hey, I'll confess to these crimes in West Virginia. I didn't do them. So I won't pro- provide them with the details that they'll use to determine that I did do it. And so I won't get charged. And then I won't, I I'll mean, be free. I literally, there has not been one piece of evidence you told me that I would be like, that's the guy. Yeah. He pro he preyed on young hacker girls. Hacker is hacker is a better the guy right. with the last name. I think he or Slaughter. Yeah, <laughs> like or the Slaughter's uncle. Like, but like the only thing like he he's a pedophile. These girls were adults. I mean, yeah. teen, but still adults. He his confession was like completely baseless. Yeah, he made comments about his like sexual performance that were like clearly not true. And where he said the heads were were located, they, they weren't. weren't. And so I think literally not a single piece of evidence that I'm like, yep, that I think if you charge him with this, you should just charge the letter writers too. You know, like what, what I, I am actually the letter writers have more information, information because they said, look here. Yeah. And they did. I mean, it was like slightly off, but God, that's messed up. So he's convicted, but then second trial, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. And despite the claims of saying and him saying why he did it. And the fact that no new evidence was presented, he was once again found guilty. That is weird. Yeah. So Clausen continued to profess his innocence in these murders until his death in prison in 2009. And many of those involved with the case now believe that he did not commit these particular murders. Yeah. Uh, however, one of the challenges surrounding Clausen's conviction and imprisonment is that pretty much everyone agrees that he's a danger to society and should have been in prison for the rest of his life because he was convicted of multiple assaults and sex crimes against children, many of which he served very little time for committing. So many people find it difficult to to have, I don't know, any kind of sympathy for him for what had essentially been a wrongful con- conviction. Like basically they're saying, okay, he might not have done it, but he deserves to serve this time for this crime because he didn't serve that much time for atrocious crimes against children. Sure. Which is not right. No. That's our justice system. You you take it or you leave it. Right. Like, like, like you pay for the crime you commit, not like 
Yeah. You, you, you know, you're in jail and just because you're a bad guy, you deserve to be in jail. Well, yeah, he, he sounds like a creep, but yeah, doesn't sound like he committed these murders. Maybe I, I'm missing some evidence. Maybe we haven't talked about some stuff, but it does not sound like he was the guy. Right. Yeah. So people don't have sympathy for him and yeah, you don't have to have sympathy for him, but he probably shouldn't have been convicted of this crime. So the larger issue is that if he did not kill Merritt and Karen, which it doesn't sound like it's very likely I, I just, I don't see it. I don't see it at all. So there's no physical evidence indicating that he did. And whoever did kill the women has obviously eluded justice. Right. In 2006, the investigation was reopened by oh, the West Virginia State Police. Okay. So, I mean, it's an ongoing investigation. So much like the Lewis Clark episode, it seems like because it's an ongoing investigation and since they've reopened it, they're not providing a lot of detail, but I would think that they would take all the clothes, all the recovered items and run them for DNA. You I know? mean, Crutcher or Hacker, in my opinion, both of them are far but you more could likely. Run, you could run DNA for any of them now yeah. like, and figure exactly. it out. But, you know, yeah, I couldn't find any information on Eugene Clausen. Yeah, I don't, I, I just um, did a quick search and I can't find anything off the... Yeah, so crazy. Gosh, you like do a lot of cliffhanger ones where there's, <laughs> you know, where it's like, now I got to go do some more. I just want to go and like read and yeah. everything because I want to know everything about it. Yeah, so the book is really good. It's, it's lengthy, but it, that's because it really delves into more detail. Fuller and McLaughlin did a really good job. So it's called the WVU Co-Ed Murders. Uh, by Jeffrey Fuller and Sarah James McLaughlin. Not the Sarah McLaughlin. I know. That's why I thought I, I had the name wrong. I will remember you. As you're reading it, that's what you're... Yeah. You're picturing like a sad like dog yeah. commercial with yeah. like dogs looking at you with big eyes. ASPCA. Like, yeah. like oh. building yeah. a mystery. <laughs> Um, Not that Sarah McLaughlin. No, no, no. The book is it just just came out. Yeah, um, and it's super good, super really super well done. But it just goes to show that we still tend to think that if someone confesses, that's enough to right. put them away. Like, and someone that's mentally vulnerable, though, right. like if like you see it time and time again, juveniles and and people that don't have very high IQs, like. Like, oh, hey, buddy, like, just get this off your chest or whatever. Exactly. Or question them for hours and hours. And finally, there's like, I want to go home to be with my mom. And like, or I want to go home to be with my, you know, my kid. And like, if I just confess, maybe you'll just like, let me go home. Well, and in his case, he was confessing because he just thought, well, I'll get off for this other crime in New Jersey. Like, obviously, I'll get, I won't. Yeah. Like, that just goes to show, like, he has the the mental, you know aptitude of of a child a child yeah yes he did horrible things right i mean and, he's not a great and, guy but he shouldn't have been found guilty and i think that that probably tainted their their determination was they're like well he's done this horrible shit anyway not looking at victimology not looking at mo like and that's the thing it's like yeah you cannot have sympathy for him of course you know, don't find him guilty of this crime and send him back to New Jersey to serve out his time. Like, that's fine. Like, so, so in fact, you, you did a disservice by like, yes, great. He's in jail or he's in prison for 
a, a crime he didn't commit. And that's keeping, that's it, right. Like it's keeping him off the streets and keeping him away from, you know, potential situations where he could prey upon children, young girls. Yeah. Right. But that also means that you have just let a murderer go free. Well, and if it was hacker, like I believe it was. Yeah. Hacker went to prison ultimately for another murder. Oh, um, did he? Yeah. Yeah. He killed a guy, Herbert Coben. And he went and uh, he went to prison. Okay. So like, again but but Merritt and karen don't have justice their families don't have closure like no effort was made to grill this hacker guy and ask him yeah Yeah. i mean obviously hacker like yeah at the time maybe he didn't have any criminal history or whatever his background looked like but like everything all of the even circumstantial or not everything that tied him to those girls yeah there were a lot of strings attaching well, and Crutchley, the other likely suspect, he he also went to he prison. Yeah. Anyway. But how would you feel if <sighs> you're, you know, you lost your loved one that way and you know that they put away someone that, that likely did not do it? I would be laying awake every night. But, oh, man. Well, thank you, Kate, for that. Yeah. Oh, My next one I'll have to, I'll have to, after Lewis Clark Valley and this, I'm, I'll have to come up with one. The, where they actually catch the killer. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for listening, guys. As always, feel free to reach out to us uh, via email at thepremeditatedpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to follow us on Instagram uh, at premeditatedpodcast. Like us, share us, you know, subscribe, all that fun stuff. Tell all of your friends. I was at dinner last night with some friends and and one of them told me that she had told her sister about it it was like the best compliment ever oh like oh thank you so that's the best compliment we can get when you're like sharing um definitely sharing our our passion project with people because you know that they'll like it but we are so grateful for you for listening and we can't wait to chat with you again next week make sure to tell your folks we says hi